appreciate your attendance this afternoon. We had a few visitors this morning, some different visitors with us, so I didn't say it, but I will say, because many of you have asked, no, the lesson will not be in Spanish this afternoon or this morning. Uh, several questioned and asked, and I said, I can't even roll my R's, so I mean, you know, I, I cannot speak Spanish, but uh, I can pretend, and as we said this morning, act a little goofy from time to time, but uh, we're thankful that you're here. We can, again, enjoy some Bible study to go along with our great fellowship that we've had uh, all weekend, and even this, the, the first day of the week. Appreciate uh, the beautiful singing. I know the first row is is a place that nobody will come to, you know, most of the time, uh, but I've enjoyed sitting in front of these young people this today uh, a couple of times and listening to them, and, and if you ever get a chance to maybe move closer to the front and uh, be around them and their singing, uh, both of the, the older ones who moved to this side for this morning and the younger ones over here and when they're together, uh, it is very encouraging, and we appreciate Don's leading us today and all of you for participating in that. Uh, it's just been been very, very encouraging. Uh, we are going to continue this afternoon in the one-word study that we've been doing for uh, many years now as we think about working our way through not necessarily the Bible uh, in some kind of order or anything like that. We have grouped a lot of these words together. I haven't always sort of shared that on the screen, but through this the last couple of sections I have, uh, hopefully sometimes that will uh, sort of rattle in your brain a little bit, maybe a few things that we've shared before, especially as these words are grouped together. Uh, in particular, for the last five months or so, we've been looking at uh, life's challenges, words that do not make us feel good necessarily, that do not encourage us uh, just on the surface because they're things we don't like to go through. They are truly challenges, um, but as we have worked through the worry, the suffering, uh, the shame, and the guilt, we've come uh, this afternoon to the word grief, and that is the last word in this grouping of words. Uh, you know, grief is something that has touched everyone, right? It doesn't matter how old or young you are, you've been touched in some way. When we're younger, we're somewhat shielded from that. Maybe you recall being younger uh, or even have had children or grandchildren that have you know, been around as a, a dear loved one has been lost, and they think about that. Um, I always sort of tell the story sometimes that when my dad passed away, uh, my sister, I think, and I can't remember her age usually exactly, she was definitely younger than 10, uh, maybe even 6 or 7, uh, slept through a good portion of the service. You know, she was just young enough, and it was an exhausting time, certainly, and our grief at the time, but, uh, you know, the service going on for a little bit, uh, she just fell asleep and, and laid there through some of it, and, and so sometimes when we're younger, we're shielded from that, maybe more so than we are as we grow older, and we maybe are more attached to relationships and, and someone that is close to us. But when I look around this room, even this afternoon, I think about many of you that have walked through grief together, uh, through loss, the time that we have been here with you and walked with you and together through some of those losses. Uh, and unfortunately, even as we continue here and enjoy these relationships, we know that until the Lord returns, we'll still walk together through certain sorrows and, and grief. And so uh, this is certainly an important topic for us uh, to consider. I'm not an expert uh, in any way, and it was interesting. Um, I was sharing with Clayton uh, last night or this morning that, you know, we, we try to go through a word study, and we're going to mention a couple of the words that are used, but the writer of this particular section in the devotional book we use that I've been using uh, doesn't really talk about the words. Uh, I don't know that they provide great insight for us into uh, processing or handling grief, although I want to mention them to you just uh, for the sake of kind of learning about uh, some of the original language. But he spends a lot of time and even mentions that it, uh, at some point in his life he had written, uh, I think, a booklet. Uh, and so, you know, about 
grieving with those who are grieving, walking with those who are weeping kind of thing. And so a lot of people have put out a lot of information. We all process a little differently, uh, but certainly hopefully we can encourage ourselves for just a few moments this afternoon. Uh, When we go to the Hebrew, to the Old Testament, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, uh, maybe not making notes, but just kind of follow along with us, uh, Psalm 31, the 31st Psalm, is one place that this word is mentioned. Psalm 31 and verse number 9. The word is kahas or something along those lines here. Uh, You know it's hard to pronounce and usually even hard to spell with the different uh, pronunciation uh, things and characters that are around the original language. Psalm 31 and verse 9 says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yea, Yes, my soul and my body. Even continuing down into verse 10, my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. When we think about the grief that we feel, it can be for any number of things. Things, yes, as well as people. Um, But this sort of sums up the way that we sometimes feel. And and grief comes along with, with a lot of things. You know, sometimes... Uh, We think solely about losing a loved one. And we maybe even think solely about losing a dear loved one or or maybe even like a young person. Just last week it was in the news, the local high school had had a a student that had died in a wreck. And and we see those kinds of tragedies and we understand that is heavy, heavy grief. But as we think about processing, and if you've ever sat down uh, with a psychologist or a counselor or someone along that, uh, something along those lines, you learn that we have to have grief. We go through the grieving process with a lot of different things, not just maybe in the loss of a a person, a, a loved one. Um, But sometimes when we lose other things, that can be something that we really have to struggle with. I didn't get it on the screen there, sorry. But that is um, the words, when you look at the Old Testament, you'll see words like wrath or anger also translated using this. Certainly the thought around that, vexation, that's sort of what the psalmist is talking about here. My spirit is heavy, I am vexed in my spirit, and it's something that is weighing on me, including uh, the, the phrase there at the end of verse 10, but my bones waste away. Uh, We can almost all, again, sort of connect with that at some point in our lives. We go to the New Testament, and we're going to look at one of the passages in in a few minutes when we uh, make a few points. Uh, But the Greek word is lupeo, and again, it carries with it the idea of of of, to make sorrowful or to grieve, that understanding of loss. And I'm going to get to another definition here in just a second, but that is one of the commonly used uh, Greek words, and it is translated different ways. If you see a word sorrow in your New Testament, then that may be this same word, lupeo. It, it's not worth going through each particular instance, but if you ever use a, a, a Greek lexicon or something along those lines to research words, you'll see that, that the translators will make choices to, to maybe word it a little differently in one particular section. Grief, one definition, is a multifaceted response to loss particularly to the loss of someone or something that has died. And let me throw in one other phrase here, to which a bond or affection was formed. You know, when things happen around our world, and even in our country, we feel some sorrow. We sometimes feel grief. I think about the unfortunate uh, mass shootings, mass casualties, uh, many of us that are older think is, is even as far back as something like 9-11 and a, and a great tragedy where there's loss of life. We, we grieve to an extent. But when we add on the phrase 
to which a bond or a or an affection was formed, we understand uh, that that is you know sometimes not as present. I mean, we can hear about 9-11 and say, well, we've never lived in New York. We don't know those people personally, but yet we grieve with our community or with our nation, and we understand that. But it also says in this definition, although conventionally focused on the emotional response, it also has physical, cognitive, behavioral, social, and philosophical dimensions. Have you ever seen an interaction, or probably certainly in something like a movie, where someone is, is very short, they're very hateful, you know, they, they bite back at someone and somebody says, hey, what did I do to them? What's wrong with them? In the context of a movie, maybe you know from a, you know, a previous scene that they've lost a loved one and, and in that movie as it shifts to another uh, scene, you, that person doesn't know that. But we understand that yes, social or even our behavioral ways, there are connections. And sometimes you look at somebody and maybe you know or don't know, but you can tell they're grieving. And yet other times, maybe it's not seen uh, as well. We have to cope when we go through this kind of loss. I read a book not too long ago by a sports writer uh, whose son had committed suicide, and he was writing about that. And I read it, I think, just last year, maybe around the holiday season. Uh, but it struck a chord with me, you know, the grief that I've been through in my life to think about and, and watch and, and read about this particular man and his family go through and talk about the different ways in which they've dealt with that in their uh, family and the way that they all kind of had to process this him and his wife I think they had a daughter they're all different right and so you're familiar with the stages of grief you may see uh, these seven phases you may see them in a different order or some different words are used uh, there is a, a book and this sort of started uh, with a woman by the name of Helen Kubler Ross who first sort of pop popularized these stages of grief. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that like this, these stages of grief, uh, it's sort of like the plan of salvation. You know, we, we make mention sometimes that the plan of salvation is not always step one, step two, step three, and a person goes right up. You know, we say that a person needs to believe. Well, for some people, they are in a belief state for a, a while, but it's a long time maybe before they're willing to take that next step and to repent of their sins right, or to confess Jesus as Lord, or even to be baptized. Uh, some people, you know, have heard the word for a long time before they believe. And so we're not always just at the bottom, ready to go one after another. Uh, the mention in the article is the same thing. While no one likely goes from one of these stages to the next in the order given, it does describe the emotions that we tend to go through after suffering a major loss in life. It is said that instead of seeing them as steps, it is better to see these as a figure eight that we weave back and forth into one and then another and back again through the different stages. Uh, and so again, you can see this in people's behavior, uh, in the way that they are even going through something physically. Maybe they're not eating, uh, that kind of thing. Maybe they become, uh, you know, where they're just kind of a recluse for a while or just cannot even, you know, go out into the world in that kind of physical way and lots of other things that it can affect our lives. But I like that idea uh, of the figure eight and the way it can touch different parts of our lives at different times as opposed to just, yeah, it's a checklist, right? Done the first, done the next, done the next, and I get to the end and I'm good. You know, I was thinking, it's been about 26 years uh, since my dad passed away, and as I look at my family, and we were together just a few weeks ago, um, you know, it never really changes in some ways. We still are dealing with things and, and think about those times and, and go through different parts of this, 
Maybe we've accepted enough to get to a certain stage in life and keep moving on, but there might still be times of anger or even depression or those kinds of things that go along with it. So it's just something to remember. Maybe we don't point towards the Bible and say that we see all of these in one way or the other, but at the same time, we do sometimes see principles that will help guide us, such as, turn to John chapter 11, if you would. John chapter 11. I have not done a a great breakdown of this for the purposes of this lesson because I knew that we would not have time for that. If I ever, if I find something, I'd love to point you towards it, but I think there's probably a great lesson here, and maybe other preachers have done it before, of this account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and the lessons that are here about grief. I know a couple of brothers, uh, they're actually uh, related to Pat Hall, Uh, Ron and Don Williams, who live in the North Alabama area, both of them, but they go around and do grief seminars. Um, They've written a book called uh, Walking with Those Who Weep um, and done a lot of good work and will, you know, go to congregations and put on this seminar to try to help people as they grieve. And so they may even have things that go along with this. Uh, But as you read this account, and I know we joke about homework, but maybe this would be your homework uh, this afternoon if you need a Bible reading for the day or the week. Uh, But in John chapter 11, you get a very emotional picture I mean, you can't read it and not understand. You know, I, I remember that when my grandfather's passed away, it was after my dad had died, so uh, my family had been somewhat, um, you know, familiar with the, the funeral home setting, you know, the visitation, being at the funeral home for hours, it feels like on the end when you're a little kid, you know, having to go through all that. And my grandfather passed away, and we went up north to, to visit for that and, and be there for that funeral. And I had a cousin who we didn't know very well, but I tell the story a lot, you know, she, when she saw my grandfather, you know, sort of the fans, the family spend, spends moments around the casket there, she is wailing, you know, screaming, crying, you know, going through that, that grief, and my family, my brothers and sisters at the time, had not been as close to my grandfather. We'd lived away for most of our life and had not known them as well, not known him as well, but I remember pretty vividly being struck by the difference of the emotion. It was not that we were not sad. It was not that we didn't understand there was grief going on. Uh, But when we go back to that connection, there may have been less there. My cousin lived closer to my grandparents and and had been around my grandfather longer. But when you read John chapter 11, you, you cannot help but understand the emotion that Mary and Martha go through, even to the point that when you read down through there and you see in verse number... 17, beginning in verse number 17, and it's actually in verse 21, excuse me, John 11, verse 21, that Martha is looking the Son of God in the face and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Maybe you've been in that point of blaming someone, of being accusatory, of so emotional that you're arguing with a family member about what had occurred, whether it's over the hospital or what the doctor should have or could have done or whether or not they were there, they should have been here sooner or whatever. Martha is, you know, essentially in the face of Jesus accusing him. Where were you? You should have been here. And it's almost shocking to read, but we then begin to see this biblical picture of grief and what they are going through. Both of them confront Jesus with this with this idea. They confront him with sort of this argument of, we are grieving, where have you been, or what could you have done? Jesus, in this moment, deals very differently with the two sisters in their grief, since their grief is different. And again, as you, as you read this account, 
He gives Martha logical answers. He cries. He cries alongside with Mary. We can't just have a stock answer for each person when it comes to this. People are different, and they grieve differently, so they must be comforted in different ways. You know, I can't remember, I think I preached on this a year or two ago on this passage in John chapter 11. The grief is heavy, the sorrow and the tears are there, they're real. We all know John eleven thirty five, 35, right? We can quote it as the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That emotion is there. But this is different because what happens? But that he, he rises, right? He lives again. But you may have heard the preachers using the illustration before, what comes next? Well, then he has to die again, right? He has to die again. We don't usually consider that when we think about the greatness of Lazarus rising from the dead. But yeah, he, he came back, but then he's going to eventually die again. We may not get that same picture, uh, but grief is certainly heavy. And this is a, a biblical picture of both Mary and Martha and their, their humanness, their emotion, their dealing with this, even as Jesus tries to comfort them. And of course, he has a whole different mindset, right? We cannot have the same mindset uh, as the Son of God, but we are going to get to in just a moment the mindset that we can have. So let's talk about, I think, about three things here about grief. Number one, let's think about the opposite of grief. And if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is one of those places in which our Greek word lupeo is used. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow, that's our word there, lupeo, lest you grieve as others who have no hope. I can't emphasize, this is probably not my favorite verse, but I don't think I can emphasize enough how much it has come to mean to me, especially working with the congregation here in the minister's role and the, the funeral services that, that we go through together, that I try to say, you know, different things. You know, obviously we talk about people differently, but I come back almost every time to wanting to land right here because I, it's different. I keep coming back to the idea that we all grieve. You will grieve, but it's different. It's different than so many other people in the world. When you go to comfort someone who has lost a loved one, and by the way, they're grieving. Regardless of spiritual you know, spot or their character or regardless of that, they're grieving. Losing a loved one is going to cause grief. But it's different when we think about the loss of a loved one who's a faithful Christian. It doesn't mean that the tears go away. I, my favorite passage used to be there at the beginning of James, right, when James talks about our suffering and that we should count it all joy. And I always say, you know, we don't jump up and down and say, oh, thank you, I'm so happy I'm suffering. But it's different And when we think about our suffering and our grief when we say that, yes, we're going to shed tears, yes, we're going to sorrow, but when we have that hope. See, the opposite of grief is hope. It doesn't take it all away completely and allow us just to be robots going through the loss and say, oh, I don't care, it's not a big deal to me. Uh, we'll go through those seven stages, but it's a little bit different when we feel that hope. Paul says it should be different. And we should have the challenge as Christians still alive to say it, we should live to make it different for our family, to help them in those regards, right? 
Not to, to pass away suddenly and to leave them wondering. Well, you know, I know that they were faithful once, but boy, they, they sure hadn't been faithful in a long time. I know that's not what it's all about, right? It's about our hope and our getting to heaven and living and enjoying that reward. But man, the benefit of it being different. Because that opposite of that grief that we feel in those moments that we have to process is different when you feel that hope, when you have that. One of the reasons we struggle when we lose a loved one sometimes is that we may think we don't know. We don't know what will happen to them. Paul is saying it doesn't have to be that way. To these Christians in Thessalonica, he's saying that they have hope after death. When Jesus returns, he will bring with him those who are dead in Christ. His point is to comfort those whose loved ones have died in Christ. So he challenges them, even here in this section, comfort one another. Look at verse 18, the end of that chapter. Comfort one another with these words. Again, it's why I keep coming back to that encouragement through the time of a funeral service that, yes, that should be something that we can look at and feel different about because the opposite of our grief is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and in God the Father and in the faithfulness that we live that we know God is faithful to his promises and we can enjoy that reward. The answer to Jesus, and this I don't think made it into the bulletin. I was thinking about this and added it a little bit later. But the answer to Jesus, or excuse me, to grief, answer to grief, is Jesus. Sorry about that. The answer to grief is Jesus. Think about Hebrews chapter 4 with me for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So as we even talked this morning about the Old Testament, and we talked about that Sunday school catch-up idea, and we said that we think about the, the framework of the Old Testament. The Hebrew writer, the Hebrew epistle is written, correct, to those who are dealing with this. They're wanting to go back to that. And the Hebrew writer is saying, do not do that. One of those examples is the high priest. They looked to the high priest to do what needed to be done each year with their atonement and the sacrifices. But Paul, excuse me, the Hebrew writer says here, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The answer to our grief is understanding that Jesus is, was, and forever will be. That first to this section of scripture, he's our high priest. He has compassion. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He felt the grief for his friend Lazarus. Jesus wept. Yeah, we memorize it because it's real short and easy, but there's so much more power there when we then look at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 and see that he can understand that. Not only can he understand, but he is the answer to whom we can go to. He is the one to whom we can turn. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Have you cried those tears of grief at the throne of grace? Not just maybe in the funeral service and in those moments of loss, but just even in private prayer, in grief and in sorrow. The answer to our grief is to have a relationship with Jesus that we can approach him and cast those cares upon him and rely upon him and understand that he's been there. And that helps us. That helps us. Again, I know that the emotions are strong when we are in the moment. I know that it's tough to get through that time, however long it may be. 
But in the back of our mind, we must understand that during our times of grief, we struggle as much as we ever will. But what a time, what better time is there than to come boldly before the throne of grace looking for help in our time of need. God helps us and he longs for us to open up to him in that sorrow and in that grief. The last point here is that the end of grief, the end of grief, we've talked about the answer, we've talked about uh, these other points in thinking about grief, but what about the end? Turning your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read this section. If you've turned, I hope that you'll follow along or certainly at least listen. But 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that phrase, therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Again, a, a passage to hone in on, to take comfort in when we think about death sorrow, funeral service type of settings. The quotation in verse 55 from Hosea about almost mocking death. Death cannot touch me. It cannot hurt me in the same way when there is victory in Jesus. When there is victory in what he has done. Is, it, is there sorrow when we lose a loved one? Yes. Will I die? There, there's a good chance that I'll die unless the Lord returns. But it cannot do something that has already been done when Christ Jesus gained the victory. The end of grief comes with the victory. And so verse 57 begins with that conjunction we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, but, but thanks be to God. We don't have to grieve as others grieve, but thanks be to God. And then verse 58, Paul, why have you said all this? We say, if you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what is this therefore? Because of all that we've said and the sorrow and the mortal and the corruption, therefore, because of all these things and because of the victory that Jesus has won, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord because you have nothing to fear. You don't have to grieve as others grieve when Jesus has gained the victory. I know that grief strikes us all in different ways at different times. People go through different forms of it. Maybe you have been a person. Of course, as you get older, the, you know, the chances go higher that you lose your great-grandparents or grandparents or even parents. But, but when I think about younger people, sometimes maybe you've lived most of your life and you've not lost someone that close to you. Whatever stage we might be in, we can take comfort knowing that the end of our grief is found in the victory that is won in Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the hope. That's the comfort 
It's hard to talk about these things and not get emotional. It's hard to think about these things and not feel that sorrow that we felt before when we lose loved ones. But we can also understand that grief is not something to be feared. It's something to be processed. It's something that we must go through. But it doesn't have to be feared when we think about the message of God's word. I hope that's at least somewhat encouraging to you. It may not be something that you're facing now or maybe something that you won't face for the next few weeks or months. God be willing, but it is something that we will all face, and we can take comfort in the Word of God. If you're here this afternoon as we are about to sing this song, and you've never been become a Christian, we sing to encourage you that you would do that. That's the victory that we gain when we participate with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It causes us to think different, differently about these earthly things. If you're here this afternoon and you need to become a child of God, we would sing to encourage you that you would make that great commitment. If you're here and you've done that, brother or sister, but you've wandered away, maybe you realize that you cannot feel those same feelings of comfort and victory because you know that your relationship with Jesus is not what it should be. You've not been obedient to God's will and his word the way that you should be. We're thankful for this opportunity as well, that you can make it right, not leaving with that grieving, right? It's not so much sorrow in the loss, but you feel grief sometimes when you separate from the body of Christ, from the, the church, because you know that there's something amiss within your life. Don't leave with that on your heart or mind. Make it right, even now as we stand together and as we sing.